All right, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing this morning? <laughs> well, I'm not expecting anybody online to answer me, but you guys, you guys, I think you guys can help me out here. How you guys doing this morning? <laughs> well, that a good worship time. I love that. Just love the presence of God. So we're excited about what God's doing. Um, I'm going to be continuing a series we've been uh, doing for about three weeks now. This is our fourth week. It's called Covenant and Kingdom. And so we've been talking about several things about how Covenant and Kingdom works uh, covenant and kingdom are the two primary themes that weave their way throughout all of Scripture. Um, you, if you, the best way to think of it is it's the DNA of Scripture. Covenant is about relationship. Um, uh, kingdom is about representation. It's about the power and, and the anointing of God. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how they kind of work together today. We started out talking about how... Um, the relationship, everything begins with the relationship with God. In Genesis 3, we lost the relationship through sin, and then because of what Jesus did, he restored it um, in the new, new covenant. We talked about the kingdom and how the kingdom is about taking you out of the center of your universe and putting God there and making sure that you remember to do that. And we talked a little bit last week because we were starting grace teams, our ministry teams here at DCF. By the way, just a sidebar, if you haven't signed up, you can do that online at dothancf.com. Sign up for Grace Teams and, and connect with us, and we'll have someone get in touch with you. Uh, it is COVID-friendly. That's a horrible thing to say, but it's just the truth. It's the reality we live in. So there are many of the, our teams, actually all of our teams, have ways that you can serve even if you're not in-house with us. So if, if that's something you want to do, and I, I pray that you release your gift and bring your strength to the body of Christ, even if you can't be in-house with us, we definitely want you to do that. So uh, go to dothancf.com, you can, you can sign up there. So we talked a little bit about how um, the, you're equipped to do the work of the kingdom, you're, you're settled in the relationship that the kingdom is about your authority and about representing God in the earth, and then he gifts us um, in so many ways, uh, we just talked about a few, but he gifts us in ways that allow us to do the work of the kingdom. We talked about how your yes settles your no. In other words, when you make a determination that you're, you're on, path, on the path that God has called you to in terms of your specific you know, gift set and your personality and your, all the things that make you you and the, and the sphere of influence that you're a part of, that as you pursue that, that God has a very specific plan and purpose and way to work in your life and through your life in huge ways. And so today we're going to kind of tie things together with... Um, the story of Moses, I'm going to go through uh, 20 chapters in Exodus, and so um, I hope you brought your lunch. <laughs> In fact, what's funny is I'm only, only going to read like one scripture this morning, but I'm just going to kind of uh, put everything into a big picture, kind of, it's the easiest way to, to, to put it, but it would be helpful probably to go back and just take a look at um, the, the first 20 chapters of Exodus, because it's a beautiful picture of how God wants to work through all of us. You know, um, the Bible talks about the, the Old Testament is given to us. It, it's representative um, that we live in the New Covenant, but the Old Testament was given to us as well to help us understand who God is and the progression and the revelation of who He is, and that's always a, a, a process. And so going back and just spending some time in it is, is probably going to be helpful. But the, the short version is there's, a, there's a, a representation through the kingdom that always begins with your identity as a son. And so this Moses summary starts out very early on, obviously, as a baby. Um, he's there, they, we talked about Joseph and how Joseph was so prominent in Egypt. And he had, he had risen to the second only to Pharaoh. He ran everything. He was a steward over the entire nation. So we talked about that story and how kingdom works and how it worked through him. Even though he wasn't the Pharaoh, God used him to work and walk in authority. And so Moses comes along. Um, the story goes that, you know... Um, 
the Pharaoh arose who didn't remember Joseph. And so he saw all the Israelites and he said, if we don't subject these guys, then they're going to rise up and they're going to destroy us. So they put them into slavery. So that took a lot, a lot of time. And so um, they recognized that, the, that a lot of Israelite babies were being born. And so the population explodes in e- Egypt. And the Pharaoh was fearful that somehow they were going to take over. And so he made this decree. You see this in the New Testament with Jesus as well, that all the baby boys would be, would be killed, infanticide. And so he would just kill those babies. And, uh, and so the story goes, Moses is born. They, um, they hide him, you know, they send him down the river in this little basket thing. And Pharaoh's daughter discovers, them, discovers him, falls in love with him and says, you know, we're not going to kill this one. We're going to keep this one, even though she recognizes, you know, that, who he is. And so it, it was God's way of working, even with the world and the enemy against it in every way. God was working a plan and he, and he did it right, literally, right in the, into the uh, kingdom and authority of, of the world. And so this baby is born, goes down, is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in the courts of Pharaoh. Uh, most of us kind of know this, this story. Um, he eventually rises to a place where he's the prince of Egypt. He, he's, there's this day where he's watching, he's overseeing the people, uh, Egyptians and Israelites. And uh, he sees Israelites being mistreated, recognizes that's who part of his people. He gets angry. He kills this Egyptian, hides the body in the sand, and later on there was a fight, and he goes to, to break it up. And they said, you know, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? He recognizes everybody knows. Pharaoh's upset, so it just turns into a nightmare. Um, makes a good movie, actually, <laughs> this story. And so he goes off into the desert. So he's, he's in, the, in, the, in the desert, <clears throat> and so he uh, eventually goes into this this place where he, he marries this man's daughter. He's kind of shepherd. He's in the desert. He's, at one point, he was, you know, he was the prince over all that he could see. And now he's watching sheep that don't even actually belong to him, right? And so he's in this moment, and there's, uh, again, I'm condensing this, of course, but I'm doing it on purpose. And so he, he gets to the place where he has an encounter with God. He's kind of come, come to the end of, me, end of himself, and there's this moment where um, he's, he's near this mountain, People believe it's Mount Sinai. They, you know, this is the place of meeting. This is where Elijah killed the prophets. There's several things going on. Um, Mount Sinai, they're not exactly sure where this mountain is. They just know it was a mountain. He has this meeting. He's, he sees a bush that's on fire but isn't consumed. He takes his shoes off. You know, he's on holy ground, and he has this meeting with God. And so he's, again, this, this progression, a lot of time has gone by as he's been you know, in this process. And so God comes, and God wants to remind him about the covenant that he is in with him and his people. And so there's this moment. Here's a scripture I'm going to read. This is Exodus chapter 3. So how'd you like that? Like uh, two minutes for three chapters. That's pretty good, huh? You guys are like, dude, more of that, Dave. That's awesome. All right. <laughs> so Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, it says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers. It's a very interesting phrase. And when he says this, he says, the Lord... The God of your fathers, he's talking to Moses and he's saying, Moses, this is not new. My conversation with you is new to you, but it's not new to me. Remember, because he began this with Abraham and he goes on and he talks about it. He says, he says uh, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So here's the, in this, I, I, I sense this in the spirit when I talk about it, it's so amazing. We so forget in our culture, because we have such a me culture, such a now culture, that we forget that God is from generation to generation. 
He was the God of our fathers. He will be the God of our children. He is the God that never changes. Even if culture does, even if challenges come, God is the God of our fathers. He's the God from generation to generation. And so he's, he's reminding Moses of this. He's saying, I want you to remember that where we go from here is not new to me. It might be new to you, but this is not new to me. This is something I determined before the foundations of time began. I have a plan. I'm doing something in the earth. But before I can do that through you, you have to know who you are in me. And and one of the things I discover on a regular basis is the people who struggle the most with, with what's supposed to happen in their life are the ones who struggle the most with who they are in relationship to their father. So often we have um, this mentality, we've been taught this, religion has done a horrible job, and I don't mean uh, other world religions, although that's true as well, but has done a horrible job of reminding us that everything begins with a relationship first. Jesus comes on the scene, and what you see constantly in Jesus' life was this picture of his relationship with the Father. It's constantly going back to his relationship with the Father. And Hebrews says that up until now, God's spoken in various ways. The prophets, through Moses, all these different ways. But now, in these last days, he's spoken finally and completely through his Son, Jesus, right? He's higher than the angels. He's better than the angels. It goes through this whole list in Hebrews of why Jesus is primary, why he's so important. And part of that is he is the picture of, of covenant and kingdom, but he's a picture of covenant first. And so we talked about how covenant has to always be primary. Covenant has to, it has to come first. If you miss this part, and we're going to get into this just a second, if you miss the part about your relationship with God being primary, you will miss the whole picture eventually. And so he he finishes out, um, he's the God from generation to generation. And so he sends this this covenant, this, this man of the covenant, um, who's now becoming a person of authority, right? So he's saying, I'm, I'm going to be with you. So he says, I, this is my relationship with you. I want to start there. And so Moses has this big conversation about, you know, I'm not sure if I'm the best guy. You know, I, I can't hardly talk. And, you know, God just systematically unravels all of his excuses, as God does, right, with all of us. And so eventually figures it out. And he's like, you know, he talks about, well, how are they going to know that you're the, the that God you have sent me? Right? Which is a really good question. And I think it's a question often we don't ask enough as believers nowadays. How is the world going to know that God is God? Is it because of our great arguments? <laughs> no. Nothing wrong with great arguments. I, you know, arguments helped me um, as, as a, a, an unbeliever come to know Jesus. But the biggest aspect of it is when I have a moment with, with God, just the way Moses did in that desert, He came to the end of himself, and that's a big part of how the gospel works. The gospel is not effective if you don't need a Savior. If you think you're okay, then you don't need anything. If you're self-sufficient, then you will never seek a Savior. And part of what the law does, we're going to talk about this as we kind of move forward, but part of what the law does is it challenges you to understand that you are desperately in need of a Savior, that you can't do it yourself. Part of the challenge in our culture right now is this thing we call a victim mentality. You see it, you see it constantly throughout intersectional politics and some of the things that are going on. Um, the, there's so many things, I promise you, so many things that come up um, around race that's not about race at all. There's certain things about sexuality that's not about sexuality at all. It always comes back to identity questions. It always comes back to, again, this, this concept of um, we don't know who we are, right? 
But here's what happens is, if I can blame somebody else or blame something else for what I'm going through, then I'll never come to the end of myself. Right? Why? Because there's always some other reason or some other way that I can be helped. If this would just happen, if this would stop, then everything would be okay in my life. Right? If I just made enough money, I mean, you see how it works. If I just, made enough, if I just had that relationship, if I just had, you know, the right kind of car, I mean, just the list goes on and on. The funniest things that we put in that place to say that this is going to rescue me, right? And it never does. And so the whole victim mentality, it takes away our ability to receive a Savior. Because here's what happens. If I can get rid of the victim mentality and I can come to ownership of the real challenges in my life, if I can let the law do what the law does, which is teach me that I need a Savior, then what happens is I come to the end of myself, like Moses did in the desert, and I say, I cannot do this. I need someone else to do it for me. So that's what God's saying. God says, look, I want to start with relationship. I don't want to start with giving you something to do. It's very interesting how God does this. And it's throughout Scripture. I want to start with who you are before what you, what you do kicks, kicks into play. And so he, he goes on. Um, this is a phrase you see in Exodus 6. He says, I've heard the cry of my people. Again, covenant language. He didn't say, I've heard the cry of the people or the Israelites. It was not disconnected. He said, these are my people. They've been in bondage for 400 years. Their cries have come up, and I've heard them. That's the next thing he talks about. Um, and, and he says, uh, again, his, his connection to this is, I, I recognize them, I love them, I've heard their cries. Some of the challenges that they've gotten themselves into are their own fault. Some of it is because of oppressors, right? So there's two things going on at the same time. Either way, I'm going to rescue them, and Moses, I'm going to do that through you, right? So Moses said, again, how am I going to know? And he says, hey, take the staff, throw it on the ground, Again, I'm condensing the story. Um, turns into a, a, a snake, right? He says, put your hand in here. It turns into leprosy. What he was showing him is, I have power to do what I'm saying I'm going to do. Remember, Jesus said this. He asked uh, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the questioners, the people standing around him, um, they said, how, do, how are we going to know? How do we know that you have power on earth to forgive sins? Because that's what Jesus said. He says, so that you might know I have power on earth to forgive sins. So in other words, this this big picture, covenant, relationship, rescue, the gospel, restoring relationship with the Father, the way you're going to know that is I'm going to demonstrate it in power. And so we shared, uh, Karen was sharing this morning about what's going on with um, our dear friend Beth um, and and the miracle that she is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable what God's doing. And it's always, the question's always there. There's always enough opportunity to say, well, you know, that would have happened without God. Well, maybe. Maybe, but I find so many coincidences, right, between me and what God's doing. <laughs> like, I have, if I could just sit down with you and describe the coincidences, coincidences in my life, at some point you would, you would do the math and go, okay, that's way too many coincidences for one life, right? But that's the way God works. Sometimes it's supernatural, powerful, amazing, and beautiful, and instantaneous. Sometimes it's a process whatever, whichever way it goes, you know, with Beth, one of, the, one of the doctors in the early days, Joshua was telling me, he said, you know, for her to survive what she survived, it was, she had a 99% chance of dying. Let me just help you with that. It's a 1% chance of living, right? Like, and to quote the movie, so there's a chance. 
right? We all laugh at that because the movie points out well, there's no chance. Like it's not going to, the, the chance, and even if it was 100% chance, right? God still moves past that and he, and he works in our life. So there's a demonstration of the kingdom and the authority and the power of God. And you see this, you see this, this now connection between the covenant. He, he starts out, I am, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God from generation to generation. I'm your God. These are my people. I'm the God of these people. This is a relationship first. I want to drill this into us because we've got to get this in our, in our spirits before it really begins to take hold. Because the next thing he does says, now I want you to go and demonstrate my authority and my kingdom based on your identity as a son. And that's kind of where he's going. Not the people, but my people. He said, uh, I'm sending you out to do the work of my kingship. Staff, you know, he says, here's your staff. It represents, we know this, represents authority. Like a scepter of a king represents authority and power. And so there's this kingdom com- com- uh, confrontation with Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And then, you know, we know the story, the plagues that occur. And the plagues were just a, a big picture representation of they uh, the Egyptians had placed their trust in the gods of their, of, of their people, right? Their, their false gods and the idols. And one of them was the River Nile, right? The River Nile was the female version because out of that river came life, right? So it was kind of a female. You saw this consistently through, um, through Bible times and, 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 uh, and those times. And then Ra, the god of the sun, was, was the male, right? Uh, was the, was the uh, father and, and, the, and the mother, right? It's kind of the picture. And From this came life. And so God comes and through these plagues demonstrates his power over, right, the God of, of the river, turns to blood, kills everything, right? The reptiles that came out of it, like the frogs that came out of it, are, are this, almost this picture of um, that God has taken control of their God, Right? And, and even the reptiles are rebelling because the reptiles were representative of, of something. You see this constantly in Egyptian hieroglyphics. And so the same thing with Ra. The, the sun is blocked out, right? And then finally, the Pharaoh, who is the representation of Ra on earth, right? He's the Hebrews version. Uh, I mean, the Egyptian version of Hebrews. He represents everything of the God of the time, right? And he comes along. Moses speaks this 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 challenge that said the firstborn. So Pharaoh now is his representation of him as the, as the producer, him as, the, as the, the God of their culture is, is, is in his firstborn son. You see this flipped around again in Hebrews with Jesus. It's very interesting, the symbology, right? And so he takes away and, and every firstborn son in Egypt dies. And so the picture then is God says, okay, this is so powerful. This is such a powerful thing. There's a way around you as my covenant people not being affected by the curses of the world, right? So this is what he says. He said, take, you know, blood, kill the lamb, put it around your doorpost. Remember, the, the, there's this almost this channel again of blood. Remember we talked about this in the first um, message about covenant, how Abraham cut the pieces of the animals in, in, a, in a part and it created this channel of blood through the middle and he walked through it. And through that, walking through that, he walks into the covenant. And so again, this is another reminder to the people of Israel. Symbology was constant in their midst on purpose because God's constantly saying, I want to remind you again and again because we forget. Right? So he says, I want to remind you again. And so they do this. <clears throat> the, you know the story. Um, anybody with the blood on, on the, uh, the, door, uh, the doorpost, the Bible says the angel of death passes over. But it kills all the Egyptians, uh, the firstborn of the Egyptians. So they finally let them go. 
right? The Egyptians let God's people go. They start out into the desert. Um, Pharaoh has a change of heart, and he chases after them. We know the story. They come to the Red Sea. Um, now he's got the Red Sea on the on the front, he's got the, you ever feel like that? The Red Sea on the front and the Egyptian army on the back, right? It's like, and my wife did this uh, a message where she talked about that there was this video that went viral where this, these wildebeest were right near a lake and the lions came and attacked this little baby wildebeest and it was down near the water and then a, an alligator comes out of the water and, and grabs hold of it. And it's like, isn't that, isn't that what it feels like sometimes? It's like lions are eating me from the top and, you know. And these things are eating me from the back. And, and that's kind of where we are right now. We feel that, right? We feel this, this, this place where, like they did, that everything's online, right? Everything's on the line here. And so, of course, we know what happens now. They didn't. It's easy for us to go, oh, yeah, no big deal, right? Of course, they're going to get on the other side. Miriam's going to play her, tram- her trampoline. That's, that's not even a thing, is it? She's going to jump on the trampoline as she plays her tambourine. So, so she's singing about Moses, and she's singing about the deliverance. They're singing about God, and they're celebrating. And why? Because they, they pass through, again, this channel, right? The, the waters part, and the waters, again, are picture like the Nile, that God has control and power over everything that the world seems to have power and control over. God actually is the one who does, right? And he can manipulate however he wants. And here's the interesting thing. He does it through kingdom representation and through people. And that's the part of the, what I want to get across to us today is, is to remind us that this, there's a rhythm between covenant and kingdom. Like the reason we have the relationship is so that we can represent him from the relationship, right? And there's this rhythm, this rhythm that goes back and forth of representation and, and then coming back into celebration. You know, God, the, the power of God moves and the sea parts and they go through and they're on the other side and the Egyptians chase them as if they can do what the people of God did, and obviously they couldn't because the waters come back in and it kills them all, right? And then they get to the other side, and there's a celebration. So there's a power of God and representation of He's the kingship of God, right? And then the rhythm switches back to worship and celebrating that, you, that we are sons and daughters and we are the family of God. There's a covenant. And so there's this constant rhythm. You see this throughout the stories of the Bible. This constant rhythm, this this. Um, twisting of the DNA of covenant and relationship. So they go from there. They're in the desert, and, and they, they take the spoils from Egypt, and they use them to, to create um, the wealth of their people to release them into the nations. And one of the things they do is they build a tabernacle, a temporary tabernacle in the middle, right? You guys know the story. And so that, the reason why that's important is that's how kings went to battle is the kings would always, you see this in, in, uh, in period peace movies from like the Middle Ages, the kings would set up their tent in the center of the camp, right? Why? Because it was the greatest protection. Their armies were encamped about them, and the, and the king is in the center of the camp. And so the temple, the temporary temple, is a reminder both of covenant and kingdom. This is the king, and he's in the center of the camp, right? And here's what's fascinating. You know, there was a, the, the, the uh, cloud by day and the fire by night, right? And so it, the, we, we call it a cloud, but it was smoke. It was smoke by day and fire by night. And that's representative, again, of the covenant we see with Abraham. Remember, Abraham goes through and there's a smoking pot. And you remember the fire? And so there's, there's, here's a picture again. And so they're being constantly reminded that during the day, right, during the day I can see God in his presence. He is here. I'm reminded of that on a regular basis. And then I can see it at night. It's a fire by night. If I'm paying attention, if I look toward the center, if I look where he is, I can always find him, right? 
I get distracted and I wander away and I get, I, I get away from the people of God, I get away from the covenant, I get away from relationship, I, I walk away from that, it's very difficult for me to keep an eye on what God is doing. Here's what would happen. From time to time, the cloud during the day would move or the fire at night would move. And what would happen? They would all pack up, right? And they would follow the presence of God. They would follow Him because He's the King. He's, he's the Father and He's the King. So they would follow after this. And again, this picture is so important because what we see is God is extending his territory. Remember, the promised land was this beautiful picture of, I have something for you. There is an inheritance for you as sons and daughters of God. But here's the kicker. The inheritance is not just, I'm just going to hand it to you on a silver platter. Why? Because he loves you too much to do that. Because part of the reason why is he doesn't want you to be a trust fund baby. And can I just be honest with you? I think all of us long to be trust fund babies, right? It's like, I just, I just want to be taken care of. I want to carry my dog around in my purse, right? I, I just want to do that, right? <laughs> Whatever that translates to you in your world, I don't know. But that's kind of the picture. And God's like, no, I, I don't want that. Because part of this is because you represent the family, Right? And so there's a plan that God has to extend his territory. And you see this with this picture in Exodus. They're going into the promised land, but there's something they have to do. From the covenant, from the relationship with God, they've been given authority, and now they're to extend it into the earth. And they're to establish God's goodness and his kindness, his mercy, his love into all of the earth, right? You see a picture of it. And almost in a battle array, right? That's the picture you see it where they would go in, they would take it forcefully. But the idea behind this, again, Old Covenant is just a a shadow of the new. That Jesus comes in, and remember they want to make Jesus political. And I just want to speak to our culture right now. Everybody in Jesus' day, especially his disciples, wanted him to be political and he refused to do it. It wasn't that he was unaware of the Roman government. He wasn't unaware of what was going on. He wasn't unaware of the persecution of God's people. He was not unaware any more than the God of the Old Covenant, the Father God, was unaware of what was happening in Egypt. If you think God's unaware of what's going on in your life, you are missing it entirely. He's not. So how do we get past that? First thing we have to do is quit whining. That was for free. I know you guys like, oh, that felt good, right? <laughs> Especially if you've been whining, that feels good because you know you're wrong. You know, we tell our nephews all the time when they come visit us, they're like, you know what whining gets you? And they're like, yes, Uncle Dave, what is it? Nothing. That's exactly what whining gets you, right? We're going to establish that from day one. So God is not interested in creating trust fund babies. He's, cre- he's interested in releasing inheritance through you. For you, first of all, right? It's part of the covenant, but through you because there are other brothers who are lost. There are sons and daughters who are broken and they are outside of the covenant and God is about restoration. We know this story. So they give him the Ten Commandments. You guys know this story. Um, keep, he says, keep my covenant and everything that happens will be good. You'll be my priest. Um, you'll be warriors. And he gives them the framework of freedom. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the rules and regulations. What's that for? It's to help them know where blessing and protection and provision can be found. It's not found in unrighteousness. Even today as believers in a new covenant, if you want to live outside of what you know is good and healthy for you, don't don't be confused when consequences happen in your life. Does it remove the love of God from you? Of course not. 
Any more than you stop loving your kids because they do something not headed, right? You don't. But you still are going to experience some consequences in this world. So as we grow as believers, it's something to keep in mind. But the intention that God had was that was supposed to be a harness, right? That held them close to the Father's heart. Like a baby. Literally like a baby harness that constantly held them and reminded them to stay close to the presence of God. Stay close to the Father God, right? And so the problem is that they, in their foolishness and in their fear, eventually they turn that baby harness into a straitjacket. And we still do that today. The, the, the reminder, God's challenge to us that, hey, we need a Savior. I recognize that. My old man is dead. I'm, I'm alive, I've come alive and I've, and I've been made new. But it's so easy to fall back into that old mentality, which is the challenge that God's trying to bring in our life to bring us through, reminding us in covenant, in covenant, I love you. I have good things in store for you. I'm the father that gives good things to his kids. Right? You see, that's throughout the, the, the New Testament. The problem is they started walking in obedience without identity. So let me just pause there for a second because I, I, want, I want us to get this. Because this is what happens when you forget covenant. This is what happens when grace isn't paramount. This is what happens when grace isn't the lens through which you see everything else. It's covenant first. I said it on, on purpose. Priority. The, the, the primary thing is covenant. Relationship with God first. From that, everything else flowed. They had obedience without identity, and it became the mark of their lives. And so you see this, again, this beautiful picture of what God intended to draw them close to himself. It was a temporary harness like a baby, to raise them up so they would stay close to the heart of God. So when the new covenant came, right, when Jesus comes on the earth, he reminds us, okay, all the rules were to teach you something. Did it do its work? And you see this constantly through the ministry of Jesus. I want to, I want to point this out, especially in, in Matthew 5 and 6, you see this. He starts out with the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Blessed is, and he goes through this whole beautiful picture of the kingdom coming to earth and what it looks like, right? And then somebody asks him a question about the law, and he goes on this incredible sermon about the law. And we have turned that as, as Christians, we have turned that into this straitjacket that was supposed to be a baby harness, right? And so the whole idea was is to set you free from what the law was telling you that was true, which is you need a Savior. You need your Father. You cannot exist. You cannot exist without him as the source. It's like trying to find a river whose, whose source never occurred. You know what you have? You have dry land, if you have that. There's no such thing as a river without, without a head, without a source. And so this, I want to just show you a picture of this, um, a picture of a triangle. This is the easiest way for me to ex- explain it. Is there's a father who loves you, right? This is covenant. And from that father, you see the arrow coming down into your identity. He's trying to establish you as a son. And son, is, it's not a gender question, it's an inheritance question, okay? So if you're a, da- a daughter in this picture, you're a son. I know that's confusing gender and maybe not the best time in our culture to do that. <laughs> but the Bible says one day there's going to be no, no male or no female, so we're spirit people. That's a whole other sermon series, maybe ten. So the father establishes your, your identity, right? And then from your identity, you obey. Um. The next picture is a picture of him as a king, because both of these things are true at the same time. So now you see him as a king. You see from this king there's authority that's been given. 
And from that authority, power begins to break through, right? So we, we, I remember Karen uh, praying with, uh, with Beth on the phone. Josh was holding the phone near her. And Josh was talking about her reaction. This was, you know, well before anything happened um, that we can see now. But her reaction is Karen was praying for her. And so, you know, if, if you don't know, Karen's pretty good at praying for people. <laughs> if you need prayer, you need somebody to, to rock things for you, she's really, really good at doing that. Um, and part of that is she understands her authority, and because of that, it releases power very quickly, right? And so, so this is the picture. So here's where we get it wrong. If, if we're not careful, we begin to think about kingdom and the work of God outside of the relationship of God, right? So let me just give you a picture of that. So it's, it's that first triangle, the father you see the, the arrow going the other direction, right? So now you see the father um, at the top with this dotted arrow, and it's going to obedience now. And it's basically it's what's happening is we, we have a father, and we want to please the father, right? We want a relationship with the father. So what we do is we obey so that we can get a relationship with the father. And this is the picture of what religion has been doing ever since. It's, it's our relationship with God outside of God's revelation of how relationship is supposed to work with us. So what we think and what religions do, every religion, I've said this numerous times, every world religion outside of Christianity is missing one key ingredient that, that Christianity has, and that's a savior. Every other religion, you can work it out through your obedience. You can gain relationship with your God. And Christianity is, is exactly the opposite. You can only get relationship because he's offering it to you. But he's offering it to you on his terms and not yours. If there's one thing I know about God, I'm not him. Right? It's one of the best lessons you can learn, right? And so I, I think God is going to do it a certain way, and then he doesn't do it that certain way, and I get irritated with him, I'm a little bit offended, and a little bit angry, a little bit resentful, so I turn my back on him, even though he never ta- turns his back on me. Right? I was watching something, Larry King passed away not too long ago, and a guy asked him one time in the interview what, how he lost his faith. And he said, I had questions that nobody could answer. And so what he did was he, because no one, well, the truth is he didn't look very hard, let's just be honest, because there was lots of people that have answered those questions if he was willing. He was Jewish, and he asked his rabbi, and he said they didn't give him good answers, and part of that was because that was just the connection he had with those people. Again, the pursuit of relationship with God is available to all of us. And so he pursued that to some degree, didn't get the answers he liked, and moved on. And so here's what happens with all of us. All of us, we get right now, I feel it, you feel it. There's a sense of this, there's an, there's an enemy of our souls, right? People ask, you know, is coronavirus from the devil? Of course it's from the devil, Right? Like, well, you know, in God's sovereign will, he gave us coronavirus. No, he didn't, right? People are like, how did coronavirus come from the fall? I'd love to have a coffee and talk to you about what that looks like scripturally, right? Because the brokenness that came in the original walking away from God, it threw the entire creation into chaos. And from that sin, even, even... Right now, scientists look at our bodies and go, there is, we should not age. The body has the ability to reproduce cells on a regular basis, right? The only problem is every time it reproduces, there's just something that's a little bit off, a little bit off. And then we take that truth and then try to tell people that evolution is how we all came to our brilliance, right? When we recognize that mutations tend to go negative and not positive, right? It's like you, you don't mutate up, you mutate down, 
<laughs> right? And that's a picture. So, so what you see, though, in the Bible is you see constantly what the enemy has now done, taking advantage of our sin, our brokenness, taking advantage especially of not having a relationship with your father or manipula- manipulating that relationship and causing you to ascribe to him, ascribe to God what is true of the enemy and sin. And so we say, God, you're, you, you know, you're sovereign, and this happened, therefore you are being mean to your kids. And, and we all know that's not true, because that's not what you would do with your kids. And Jesus makes that such a huge point in the New Covenant when he says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, right? If you, and we all recognize, when he said that, everybody was like, absolutely I know I've disciplined my kids in ways I shouldn't have. I know sometimes I've caused my kids to do things that was just based on my preference and my desires. It wasn't pure, right? And so Jesus is just giving you something to take a look at and say, if you being evil know how to be good, how much more does God want to give you good gifts? So what's in the way? What's in the way? When you start, you know this, when you start moving past one single person into two people in a marriage, it creates some complexity. You take that and build that into a community or a neighborhood of 70 or so homes, like the neighborhood we live in, personalities, a lot of brokenness here, some health over here. You mix that all together, you have the potential for a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness. Why? Because the complexity just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That you translate that completely into what is it, 7 billion people headed toward 8 billion people now on the earth. And you look at nations, you say, look, you know, if God's good, why is this nation like this? And we ask that question as if we are here right now and don't know anything about history, right? <laughs> we, act like, we act like even in our own lives, we do something and we're like, I don't know why this is going so south. It's like, yes, you do know why. You know exactly why. You have been a knothead since day one, and you've been doing dumb things, and you keep doing them, and you can talk about why you keep doing them, but don't act like you're not contributing to the problem, right? So why is that important? Because if you really are serious about what's going on, then the only way this world can be helped is the way God designed it to be helped. He had an intentional plan in the beginning. Sin comes along, and it breaks it apart. And the whole picture of the covenant And the kingdom is about taking that moment in Genesis and using what Jesus did at at, at the cross when he laid his life down as a perfect sacrifice to now instill in you the perfect relationship with you and your father. And then from that place of identity, give you authority and give you power because those two things go together, right? To do what? To reestablish heaven on earth. Remember the prayer that Jesus, when the disciples asked to teach him a prayer, bring heaven to earth. Let it be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. What was the picture? The picture is we are the answer to the world's problems. The hope of the world is found in the church. That's you and I. That's where we are right now. So what does that look like? It begins with one person. Just like the complexity builds out in the communities and nations and the entire world and it gets complex, If you reverse that, if one person makes a decision for Christ and begins to recognize who they are in Him and then begins to walk in the authority that God has given them, it begins to affect their marriage. And then their marriage begins to affect their neighborhood. And their neighborhood begins to affect the community around them and the city. And then those cities begin to affect. And you see how this goes. 
And Jesus talks about this with the Pharisees on the negative side, a little lump, right? It, it ruins the whole loaf of bread. But the, but the reverse is also true. That a change in you, a decision to say, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to ascribe to God who he really is, not what my circumstances are telling me he is. Why? Because I know him. I know him and that's not what he's like. From that place, this place of frustration begins to rise in you when you see the brokenness around you in the world and you realize that the only one who can do something about it is you. In your sphere of influence, the reason God has given you this relationship and given you this scepter of power, right, from this, his kingship to, to step out as the Lord leads you. Remember the cloud by day and the fire by night? As the Lord leads you into the world, into your sphere of influence, as he moves, you follow him and you move him, and his kingdom grows. What does that look like? It looks like influence. It looks like connection. It looks like praying for somebody. It looks like ministering. It looks like kindness when something else should be given in its place. It looks like a bunch of things, but it ultimately looks like kingdom. Let me just finish with this. The best analogy I could come up with is like D-Day, right? We celebrated that in December, and I always think about it because I was, I was in Europe and, uh, and just recognized, I mean, we all look backwards and it's so easy to see, but man, they were preparing for this thing. If it, if it went south, if they didn't get that beachhead, all bets were off. They didn't know how long it was going to last if, you know, if it would just take over the entire world. And when that beachhead was established, this is what they knew. This is why the, the uh, Axis powers fought so hard to keep that beachhead from get, ever getting established. Why the enemy tried so hard to keep Moses from, being, from staying alive because a deliverer was born. A beachhead was in its place, right? And so this beachhead is established on, on D-Day, and this is what they knew. It is inevitable that the Axis powers will fall now. It's going to happen. It's inevitable that the Axis powers are going to fall. But it's a long march to Berlin. And so how does that relate to you and I? When Jesus died, again, what happened with Jesus as a baby? A deliverer was born. And everything that could be thrown against him was to try to take him out before he reached maturity, understood his relationship with God and his authority and his power. And if the enemy can do that to you, if he can take you out before you reach maturity and understand who you are in your identity in God, how much he loves you and how much your sin, he, he has taken your sin away. And if you're struggling with sin issues, you can bring those sin issues to him and he will help you find wholeness in your life. Why? Because he loves you that much. And then when he finds that beachhead in you, what begins to happen next? It is inevitable that the kingdom of heaven covers this earth like the waters cover the sea. But it starts with you, and it starts with me. So what are you going to do? The beachhead's been established. There's some battles, and they're bloody. We've, we've experienced some in our church. We're experiencing that right now. But you have to make a decision of, that what you know is true. Do you have enough evidence have you been convinced? If not, ask for more. That's fine. But at what point do you reach enough evidence that now you know and you can do something about what you know? So I want to challenge you. What does that look like for you? I know what it looks like for me. 
I'm, I feel it every day. I feel it when we come in, in church. You know, we were doing so well a year ago and headed into, oh, we're going to have influence. Everything. Oh, Lord, look. And then you come in and sometimes, you know, we start service and there's four people in the congregation. We have more people on the platform. <laughs> Some Sunday mornings we do. And eventually you guys all get here, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I, that, I, feel that every, I feel that every week. And you do too. Right? You feel it with your job. You feel it with the culture. You feel it with the, you know, the political. You feel it. You feel it. And, and your feelings are telling you something, but are they telling you the truth? And you have to make a decision about that. It's a subtle thing, but it's a really big deal. And so I want to challenge you. Is he who he says he is? Because if he is, there's something that comes next. And for you, first of all, you can settle yourself in the truth that he loves me no matter what. He is never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. I will not be left as an orphan. Those things are true regardless of what I feel, so I can act on it regardless of how I feel. And from that, Lord, you establish in me a maturity, a beachhead, because there's something you want to do. You want to take this world for your kingdom's sake. Why? Because the axes, the brokenness, the sin, right? The deep, if you put it in this analogy, the demonic powers, you know, the spiritual powers in heavenly places, all that stuff, that's the axis. Everybody around it, is in territory that's controlled by the Axis powers. And we see that in our world today. And we, what we want to do is we just want to somehow snap our fingers and expect the Axis powers to give up their control and their authority. But they're not going to do it without a fight, which is why the kingdom is so powerful. So you can make a difference in your prayer. You can make a difference in your influence. It, and it starts from being something before you do something. Because you can't fake it. If you start trying to do it without the relationship, you'll fake it and the world will break it down and it will come to pieces and it will come to naught. But if the relationship there isn't settled in your heart, then from that place, that kingdom begins to rise up inside of you. You recognize that you don't have to do it in, in your own strength. That whatever God has asked you to do, He's going to give you direction. You can follow the cloud by day, the fire by night. And you can move and you can take you can take. Land for the kingdom's sake. But you have to make a choice, first about who you are and about what you do. So I want to challenge you, as we go into this week, and we go into this, whatever this new world is, we call post-COVID, right? Whatever that looks like. Um, God's interested in taking over. But he's interested in doing that in you and starting with your sphere of influence and from there breaking out. It's why it's so important that we as a church Fulfill what God's called us in this local connection because it builds. And every local church doing that builds more. Why don't you stand with me? My heart and my passion is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I, I'm doing everything I know how to do to equip myself. <laughs> right? That's a challenge. Um, but it takes all of us. That's why we do grace teams. We're getting ready to start small groups. That's why relationships are so important. So let me just say this. The Bible says, it says very clearly, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Unless COVID, or unless, you know, like a, you know, a regime is in power like China where it's difficult, you know, then don't worry about gathering together. Like, listen, we know better. Um, it's fine to take precautions. We're in a world where that makes sense. God's not against that. It's not a problem. But at some point, we have to push back. What the enemy's trying to do is he says, if I can isolate you guys and separate you from one another... I'm destroying, I'm destroying not just kingdom because I'm, I'm destroying relationship first and then eventually what that does is it destroys the power and the authority of God. 
So it's a fundamental, it's like, a, it's like an erosion underneath us. That's what we've been feeling for the past year. And I want to challenge you to push back, to show up. Again, with precautions, and if, if we're not doing it well, give me feedback and we'll do it better so we can, we can make every, take every precaution to make sure that you can come and be a part, especially if you're online. And I recognize some people, you can't do that, and I get it. There's a vaccine coming. I, I pray that's going to help us and create opportunity where it wasn't before. Regardless, let the Lord talk to you about what that looks like. Don't be stupid, right? Don't just, don't be super spiritual. Oh, Jesus will take care of me. Jesus said at one point, take a sword, right? Because there's probably going to be some robbers on the road. So precaution's not a bad thing. But I just want to challenge us. As we move forward, hearing what the voice of God is saying to us individually and then corporately as a local church is what is going to make a difference here for our families. It's going to change people's outcomes. It's going to change destinies of the people that we're connected to. We can't do it alone. God's called, to do, called us to do it together. So I just want to encourage you. Take courage. <laughs> Be encouraged. Go get courage because it's available to you. And let's, let's launch out into everything that God's called us to do. Amen. Karen. We just, we just want to say thanks for joining us and watching it online today. Thanks for the message. And um, if you're watching and you would like to have prayer this morning, um, you can contact us through our website at dothancf.com. If you're in-house and you would like to have prayer, if you just like to raise your hand, we will um, come and pray for you. Thanks so much, and we hope you guys have a great week.